Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. Open your Bibles up to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and we want to talk about where we are today in Rosh Hashanah, where we are today in God's great uh, God's great timetable. If you look at the scripture, can we bring up the timetable here? The scripture says in Colossians that the feast, the Sabbath or the feast of the Lord are a shadow of things to come. Can you guys bring the whole timetable up at one time? Thanks. If we look at Passover, we know this, but for those who are new, if we look at Passover, Passover was a shadow of the Messiah coming and dying for our sin. Every year during Passover, they would bring a lamb and they would sacrifice that lamb and the sins of Israel were forgiven for one whole year. When Jesus came at the very moment that they were sacrificing the shadow lamb at the Temple Mount, at that very moment on Calvary, Jesus shouted those words, it is finished, and we went from a shadow of things to come to the real thing. Jesus is the Passover lamb. 50 days after Passover, we come to the Jewish holiday of Shavuot. 50 days. We call it Pentecost. That's what 50 means, Pentecost. On the day of Shavuot, God gave the world the Bible, the Ten Commandments. This is Moses meeting with God and coming down. That's called Shavuot. When the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell. They were all in one mind, one accord, in one place. They were all in the temple because Jews gathered together for Shavuot, for the, the, the celebration of God giving us the word of God. On that very moment as they were there, the Holy Spirit fell and God gave us the power to live according to that word. It was a shadow and then the real thing came. After Shavuot, Then we get into what's called the month of Elul. This is the last month on the calendar. And the month of Elul is the month of blowing the shofar. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm. Wake everybody up. Why are we to wake up? Because we are 30 days at the beginning of that away from Rosh Hashanah. Now, Passover is no longer a shadow. We have the Passover lamb. Shavuot, Pentecost, is no longer a shadow. The Holy Spirit fell on the day of Shavuot, of Pentecost. We still have Rosh Hashanah. We still have Yom Kippur. And we still have the wedding supper of the lamb. And we still have the Sabbath millennium still to come. These are still shadows of things to come. 
What happened on Passover every year is exactly what happened, exactly what happened the day that Jesus died. What happened on Shavuot, on Pentecost, is exactly what happened until the day of Pentecost came. They were shadows, but they were temporary. You understand? Same thing happened. On Passover, there are three main blessings that are released. On Pentecost, there are Shavuot, there are two main blessings that are released. These are no longer a shadow because we have the real thing. What we haven't had yet is the rapture, seven days between rapture and the second coming, and then the wedding supper of the Lamb, and then the Sabbath millennium. Now, just to let you know, and, and once again, I say it over and over again, no man knows the day or the hour. We don't know when the Messiah is coming, but we do hear the footsteps of the Messiah. We do feel the birth pangs of something that's about to be born. We talked about last, uh, last few weeks about every great nation either collapses or springs forward at about 250 years. America is at 244 years. That gives us six years. If you look at a Hebrew calendar and you add what scholars are saying are the missing years, we are six years away from the Sabbath millennium, the seventh millennium, the start of the seventh millennium. And so what God is saying is, is that whether the Lord comes tonight or he comes in five years or six years or 10 years, we are close, very close to the second coming of the Messiah. You look at what's happening in Israel. You look what's going on. You look at they just found what they think is the tabernacle of David. You look at what they have found with 100%. The Pilgrim's Road where Jews and Gentiles would walk from the Pool of Siloam up to the Temple Mount where Jesus will rule and reign for a thousand years. That road has been covered. It's been hidden, didn't know it existed for 2,000 years, but now all of a sudden it's uncovered. Why? Because we are very close to walking this road again with Jesus sitting on the Temple Mount at the beginning, not the end, at the beginning of the Sabbath millennium. Are you with me? All right, so here's what I want to show you. The Bible says these are a shadow of things to come. Let's say, and I might be wrong, but let's say just as Jesus became the Passover lamb, exactly on Passover, the Holy Spirit fell exactly on the day of Shavuot, the day of Pentecost, 50 days. Let's say the rapture happens exactly the way it says in Rosh Hashanah. Between tonight and Yom Kippur is seven days. The Bible talks about the rapture will take place. There'll be seven years. One day is, is a thousand years, a thousand years, one day. There'll be seven years of us being gone, the Antichrist setting up on the Temple Mount, and then seven, then horrible, horrible times where a quarter of the world is destroyed. During that time, we talked about the mark of the beast. We talked about you can't buy or sell unless you receive the mark of the beast. We talked about how the coronavirus and you're going to have to show that you've received the vaccination. All of these things 
are a wake-up call. All of these things are a blowing of the shofar saying we need to wake up. So what happens on Rosh Hashanah or the rapture? Let me, let me back up. Let me go over here. Most people don't understand that the, the rapture and the second coming are two different things. The rapture is us on earth that are found serving God. We're on earth and all of a sudden we disappear. In a twinkling of an eye, we disappear. We're gone for seven years. Seven years, God gives the world a chance to repent. Why anybody would not repent in those seven years? Think of the Bible says two will be in bed, one will be taken, one will be left. Two will be in the field working a job, one will be taken, one will be left. If all of a sudden millions of us instantaneously in a blink of an eye disappear, you would think, you would think that everybody would say, you know what, I better get saved. But there'll be those who won't. After seven years, then there'll be the second coming. The rapture is us going up to him. The second coming is him coming down to us or to the world on a white stallion and the army of the Lord coming with them. Amen. After the, after the second coming, and we'll get into the timeline for the wedding supper of the Lamb. But after the second coming, then comes the Sabbath millennium. During the Sabbath millennium, Satan is cast into the fire of the, the lake of fire. Uh, the Antichrist is cast in, the false prophets cast in, and Satan is in prison for a thousand years. After that thousand years, He's released again, and people once again will decide, not us if we make the rapture, but people again will decide whether or not they're going to serve Satan or whether or not they're going to serve God, even after a thousand years. Now, if we make the rapture, our decision is over. We're done. Once you make the rapture, you're done. At the end of the thousand years comes and this is why I'm taking time to explain this. At the end of the thousand years comes the great white throne judgment. You don't want to be there. The great white throne judgment is a judgment against sin. But you and I will stand before God, not at the great white throne judgment, but you and I will stand the moment we're raptured. You and I will stand before Christ and we will be rewarded according to what we've done and we haven't done. Now, let me say that again. Let's say the rapture takes place at 630 tonight. Are you ready? Now, now I, I, I know I'm saying this slow because I want everybody to understand. Let's say let's say the rapture takes place at. What time is sundown tonight? Seven o'clock? Let's say the rapture takes place two minutes before sundown. God gives us every chance, every second to get our hearts right with God. 
And boom, the rapture takes place. And you and I make the rapture. The moment the rapture takes place, we're standing in line. And in front of us is the great white throne. Or excuse me. In front of us is the judgment seat of Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ, God will open up the book. It's called the book of life. And God will open up the book. Judaism says there's actually three books. And God will open up the book and he will see that our name is written there because we made the rapture. But then he will look at what your reward will be and my reward will be forever. Quiet in here. Let's say the rapture takes place tonight at 630. At 630.1, you and I will be standing before the judgment seat of Christ. It's going to happen. Maybe not necessarily tonight, but it's going to happen. How many believe the rapture will happen? Boom, the rapture happens. We're standing there at the judgment seat of Christ. When we're standing at the judgment seat of Christ, he will then look at my records and your records to see what our reward will be forever. Now, I think I'm going to do a series on what will heaven be like when we get through Feast of Tabernacles. I think I'm going to be do a series on what will heaven be like. But there are seven levels of heaven. I think you have the basement level and the penthouse. How many want to be at the penthouse? God's no respecter. We can all be there, we, but, but it's up to us. So I want you to understand. I want you, I want you to realize this. That the moment the rapture takes place, we're in heaven. When we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, it is not to judge us for our sins. Our sins are washed away. They cannot be brought up again. We're, we're done as far as it goes with Satan. But we will be rewarded according to what we've done and what we haven't done. Now, I want to say something that's a little harsh. But a lot of Christians say, well, I've been serving God for 20 years. Going to church is not serving God. Are you all okay? There's a difference between I'm a Christian and I'm serving God. There's a difference. Got real quiet on them going over. I'm going over to the Lutherans here. You all hang with me. There's a difference between serving God and going to church or even believing in Jesus or accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And the reason why I bring that up and that makes people uncomfortable is because the moment the rapture takes place, the moment it takes place, he will then begin to give out our rewards. Some will get many rewards. Unfortunately, some will get none. Not because you're not a Christian, but because you've done nothing as a Christian. I'll show you my faith by my works. 
A lot of people say, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Well, you know, you can call yourself a chicken. But unless I'm seeing feathers and eggs, I ain't buying it. Right? Now, don't get mad at me. I'm not making the rules up. This is the way it works. But understand, someday this will be a real thing. But until it's a real thing, it's a shadow. The same thing happened during the shadow until the real thing came and Jesus died on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't something new. It was just for eternity. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, it wasn't something new. It was the same blessing, but now forever. The same thing with the rapture. Someday, maybe today, the rapture will take place and our blessing will be released to us for eternity. But if the rapture doesn't take place at sundown tonight, God will still open the book and look to see what blessings he can release on you for the entire year. I need a better amen than that. That's why, that's why on L L 1, on L2, and L3, and L4, and L5, because he blows the trumpet for 30 days over and over and over again. That's why we're allowed to see the rioting in the streets and we're allowed to see the coronavirus and we're allowed to see the economic crisis because this is a shadow of what it's going to be like if you miss this till you get to here. And he loves us so much that he doesn't, you know, uh, you know, when I first got saved, well, oh, God's going to get you, you know, uh, uh, the sinner. I remember a book, uh, the sinner in the hand of an angry God. No, my God's a father and it's my father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. If you're watching, if you're sitting here today or you're watching around the world, don't get mad at me. Thank God that God sent us here to let you know, you know what? We still have several hours before the book is open. Now's the time to get your heart right with God and decide you're going to help somebody, a widow and an orphan or an aliyah or something you're going to do because God wants to reward us. How many had ever been, I can remember when I was a kid and uh, it was my birthday or my brother's birthday or something and my little sister, she's sitting there and you know, watching one of us get all the presents and she gets up and leaves. She goes, I'm tired of this birthday stuff. <laughs> Wouldn't it be a bummer to be at the judgment seat of Christ and going, hey, God doesn't want you to miss out. So he wakes us up. I want to look at what happens during the judgment seat of Christ. And we're just going to go over it very briefly. And then I want to show you something. First off, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Don't bother turning there. I'm, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all these. The first crown, when we, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, there are five, the Bible says there are five crowns that are available to us. Now, it, it, we don't have time to get this. Maybe when we'll, we'll do this series on what will heaven be like. 
But there are thousands of rewards that God wants to give out. But I want to look at the main five ones that God talks about. And the first one is called the victor's crown. And the victor's crown is Paul speaking to the Corinth church. And he's telling them, he's giving them an illustration of how you get the victor's crown. Now, in the city that Paul is speaking at, that's where they held the Greek games, the Olympics. And they would see people training for the Greek games. And they would see guys running and weightlifting and wrestling and and beating their bodies in submission. And Paul goes on to say, look at how they do this. All year long they do this to receive a crown that perishes. But he said, God wants you to look at their discipline. He wants you to look at their their self-control and realize that if they do that for a crown that perishes, how much more should we have self-control for a crown that will last forever and ever? You know, I used to do in, in the church in Portland, we used to do what's called top performance. And one Friday night a month, we would teach on success principles in business. And I remember reading a, a story by Brian Tracy, and he was talking about, to one of the great success and motivational speakers. And he said, of the thousands of keys to being successful, he said, of the thousands of them that you've taught on, this key and this key. He said, what is the number one key to success? And the guy said, without even hesitating, he said, self-discipline. He said, because if you don't have self-discipline, then none of the other keys work. And he said, self-discipline is the ability to do what you should do, when you should do it, whether you feel like it or not. You know, and you got to forgive me for being a little human. As soon as I heard that self-discipline is doing what you should do when you should do it, even when you don't feel like you should do it. You know, and I've been thinking, I've been a Christian for over 40 years. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And I thought when I was looking at and forgive me for just being human, I thought, You know, there are some Sunday mornings I get up and go, I don't feel like going. Good night, everybody. Thanks for coming. There are some Sunday mornings, today for one, that I woke up and I go, you know what? I am really tired. It's been a long week. I've been traveling. I don't feel like I should. I I, I don't feel like going to church. But yet. We would go to church, Tiz and I, and bring our kids. We go to church because that's self-discipline. My body is saying, I don't feel like going to church. But my Bible says that I need not to forsake the gathering together as the manner of some is. And so I'm going to go to church even when I don't feel like it. It's self-discipline. You know, I was thinking about this in the, in the way of athletes. You know, when I was playing football in college, when you showed up for summer camp in college, each position had to run the quarter mile in a certain time. And so you had to show up, and, and until you ran the quarter mile in that time, you couldn't practice with the team. And so I, I remember guys showing up, 
and they were so out of shape that it took them weeks and weeks and weeks. And by the time they got in shape, somebody else had already taken their position. So before summer camp ever happened, I would go every day and run around the park and I would time myself and I would get that timing in. An athlete doesn't get up and go, oh man, I get to starve myself today. Oh man, I get to run till my legs are hurting. I get to run till I can't breathe. They do that. They beat themselves in by self-discipline for a crown. You know, I was thinking about my, the, all the awards that I received as a kid, and they're all stuffed somewhere in my mom's closet. I haven't seen them in years and years and years, but there is a crown that is coming that won't rust or won't tear and I need to keep myself disciplined so that I will receive that crown of a victor. The Bible talks about that we're at the judgment seat of Christ, and I think I may have shared this, or maybe I shared it on television this last week, but the judgment seat of Christ is the, is the bima. That's what it means, and the bima is a seat at the Olympic Stadium in which the judge would come up not to judge them, but to reward them. And they would come by and they would receive their reward. Someday you and I will stand before the Lord. And I want him to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But if that day doesn't happen this year or next year, that's going to happen tonight. God is going to look at you and say, you know what? You hung in there. You did good. You won the victor's crown. You are more than a conqueror. And that means that you and I need to say, you know what? Sometimes I don't feel like tithing. Sometimes I don't feel like praying. Sometimes I don't feel. Oh, come on. Say amen with me. Now, I know most of you get up and go, oh, I can't wait to spend a half hour in prayer. I don't know about you, but sometimes I go, I had to pray again. Has it come to that? But we do it because we discipline ourselves for the victor's crown. Amen? You know, when you're thinking about self-discipline, I think a lot of times we think of the big things. And there are big things. You're a Christian. You don't sleep with somebody you're not married to. You're a Christian. It may look like you make more money if you cheat, but you don't cheat anybody. You're a Christian. It may look like you get ahead if you lie, but you don't. But there are other things that you have to discipline yourself in. Don't gossip. A lot of Christians have the, they, they, they don't have the habit of smoking anymore, but they have the habit of gossiping. Ooh, y'all think I'm going over to the, you have to bring yourself in. Are you okay? See, I thought we were talking about rewards here. You have to discipline yourself not to gossip, not to backbite, to be forgiving, to be a happy person. Discipline yourself to be a happy person. When you walk in the room, bring joy in there. Amen? When you walk in the work, bring joy in there. You have to discipline yourself to be positive and not negative. And you win the victor's crown. I got to keep going. The second crown is the crown of 
rejoicing. And real quick, you can look at it in First Thessalonians two nineteen. But the crown of rejoicing is the is is the the crown in which all tears are wiped away, all sorrows are wiped away. Um, um, what we have done for others in bringing them joy, God will bring this joy to us. You know, when I was thinking about this, I was doing Sid Roth's program this last week, and I started thinking, he was asking me about my testimony. I was telling him about a little Hispanic guy by the name of Bill Trujillo. Bill Trujillo is the guy who led me to the Lord. When I had hair down the here and earrings hanging in my ears and tattoos and smoking dope, Bill Trujillo is the one, three days old in the Lord, three days old in the Lord, kept walking by. I'm sitting on my porch smoking a joint. How many know what a joint is? Sorry. I was smoking a joint and Bill kept walking by and he looked at me on the porch and get down at the other end of you. And he come back and he look at me like this. And I'm, <laughs> I think he's wanting to come over and buy dope from me. He does this five or six times, finally gets in the block. And I see him go, like, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And he walks up and he says, I've never done this before, but I couldn't leave until I told you Jesus is who you're looking for. Amen. You know, Bill died. Uh, Bill had a bad accident uh, not long after he led me to the Lord and passed away. But, you know, every time I have the honor of leading someone to Jesus, Bill gets another jewel in his crown. Do you know that? that that's what Paul is talking about, is the greatest jewels that we can receive are those who have come to the Lord. That's why Paul said, he said, I, uh, I planted Apollos watered. But God gave the increase. So sometimes when you're just telling somebody about Jesus, or sometimes you're just telling somebody, you know, they're going through a marriage problem, they got a, or, or a health problem, I can say, you know what, let me tell you about lying. Let me tell you about tis. Or somebody's a drug, I can say, let me tell you about our pastor. Let me tell you about this or that. Or somebody's going through a marriage problem, you say, oh, let me tell you about what God did for my marriage. And someday, someday, we will be with those people in heaven. But the, who knows when, 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 we, when, we, when the rapture takes place, the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. And someday I'm going to walk through the gates of glory and Bill heel is going to walk with me and people are going to walk right past me and go, Bill, Bill, thank God you told this guy about Jesus. And Paul said that's the great reward. That's the crowning reward. When we walk into heaven, can you imagine people walking up, people from Ethiopia, people from Ukraine, people walking up and say, because of you, my family's lives were saved. Because of you, I met God. Because of you, I met Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Because of you, my children ate. And the reward of that is beyond anything we can imagine. The third reward is the crown of righteousness. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but all of those who loved his appearing, who looked forward to this day, the day of the rapture, who looked forward 
to the coming of the Lord with anticipation. Can you imagine? I was thinking about this when I was writing this down about looking forward. Can you imagine what it would be like to live a life without anticipation? What it would be like to look, live a life without looking forward to something? That's what it is without Jesus. That's what it is without God. You have nothing to look forward to. I feel sorry for people who think, you know, someday I'm going to die and that's it. No, someday I'm going to die and I'm really going to find life. But until that happens, life is a shadow of that. That's why God gives us Passover to look forward to those blessings. That's why God gives us Shavuot or Pentecost to look forward to those things. The Bible says in Genesis that God gives us the moon and the stars and the sun for the seasons. Man, here comes a season of blessing. Here comes a season of prosperity. Here comes a season of healing. Here comes a season of abundance. Here comes a season of victory. And every day, because we know the Lord. Someday we're looking forward to the rapture, but until then, we can look forward to a shadow of everything that he's going to do in eternity. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, I read a story about a guy who was a tourist and he was in Switzerland and he was over on, I think it was Lake Geneva and he's going by and he sees this beautiful mansion. And the mansion was, was surrounded by just exquisite gardens. And he sees a guy tending the garden. So he walked up to the man and he said, how long have you been tending these gardens? He said, I've been tending these gardens of this mansion for over 30 years. And he said, in those 30 years, how many times has the owner come and visit? He said, twice. He said, twice in 30 years? And he said, that's it. And he said, and, and yet you, you take care of these gardens as if he could come tomorrow? And the gardener said, no, sir. I take care of the gardens as if he could come today. That's why the Lord says, work while it is yet light. That's why we blow the shofar. That's why we have the seasons. That's why we know of Passover and Pentecost and Shavuot and Feast of Tabernacles. Because we, are, we have this anticipation that he could come at any moment. And we need to be about our father's business. Because someday we're going to receive an eternal reward. But while we're about our father's business, he is our great and exceeding reward down here on earth. Our best is not yet to come while we're on earth. Our best is yet to come in heaven but while we're here it is a shadow of things to come and it's awfully good when we have anticipation of the blessing and the place of God in our lives can I have an amen number four is the crown of life now there's really two scriptures and I'll give them to you You can read them at home James 1 12 and Revelation 2 10 but this crown of life is the crown of faithfulness The crown that we've been faithful to live for God. You know, I I saw a thing on on a hunting show the other day, and it said the character of a person is not found when they're faithful, when things are going good. But the character of a person is found when they're faithful and things weren't going so good. Faithfulness. I got married to Tiz over 40 years ago, and I have been faithful to her every day. I met Jesus 42 years ago, 
And I have stayed faithful. Has there been rough times in our marriage? Yeah, until Tiz learned to change. I love you, baby. Don't spit on my burger. We live in a society that quits. We live in a society of quitters. Well, it's not going the way I want it to go. Maybe it's going the way God wants to go. Maybe you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death so when you get on the other side, you can tell others to get over there with you. Faithfulness. You know, I played football in college, and I can remember, you know, going down the way, you know, went down to college, and in high school, you're the star. In college, there's a lot of stars. And I remember showing up, and everybody's bigger and faster and, than, than they were in high school. And when you're a freshman, you're just, kind of a, you're just kind of a tackling dummy. You just get beat up by all the juniors and seniors. And my roommate and I remember after about a month of just, we're just bruised and scabs and beat up and everything. We're standing on the hill. There's, a, there's the uh, defensive hill and the offensive hill, and we're standing on the hill, and the, the guy's kicking practicing kicking field goals and they're going over the over the uh, goal goal post down into this little area with a creek running down there and I remember the coach going hey I need one of you freshmen to run down there and shag those balls and my my roommate goes I'll go and we have been just been standing there and he goes I don't know if I can take this anymore he said, I don't know if I want to do this. I said, come on, man. We got three weeks left, then game time. We got to come on, hang in there. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Hey, I need one of you guys to shag balls. He says, I'll go. I saw him run over the hill, down in the creek. Next thing I see, he's coming out at the end of the creek, sneaking into the locker room. He's got his clothes on, on his back. He's still got to do more. He's sneaking out. But three weeks later, we come running out on the field, and we're running out in the the band's playing, the crowd's cheering, and we come running out of the shoot, and there he is right there. And he looks at me, and my eyes look at him, and I know what he's saying. In his heart, he's saying, I wish I hadn't quit. Listen to me, someday we're going to come running through the gates, and God is going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Yes, it may be tough, but what Satan's meant for evil, God will use it for good. You may go through a tough time. You may go through a battle, but the The only way you lose, listen to me, the only way you lose is if you quit. Because when we've done all the stand, stand therefore, because God is standing with us and he promises us that we will be more than conquerors. Just keep on keeping on and God will crown us, not someday, but today with the crown of life. Somebody shout amen. The last thing in the last five minutes is the crown of glory. This is the shepherd's crown. You can read it when you get home, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. This is the shepherd's crown. And you know, so many times when we think of a shepherd, we think of, uh, of the pastor, and yes, the, that is true. And, and pastors need to understand this. We're, 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 we, we will give account for those that God puts us to shepherd and puts us over. And we need to make sure that we never fleece the flock, but we just feed the flock. And every shepherd needs to understand that because there is a great responsibility that comes with great reward. 
But a shepherd is also the ushers and the greeters. A shepherd is also the home life group leaders. A shepherd is also a mom or dad who gets their kids up and says, come on, we're going to church. A shepherd is also a mom or dad who prays over the meal and, 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 and leads their kids in prayer before they go to bed and, and tells them about the things of God. You know what? I have a shepherd. I have a, a flock that is worldwide, but it didn't start with being a worldwide. It started with winning somebody to Jesus and making sure they were okay. I can remember a friend of mine who just sent me pictures of us when we first got saved. I can remember when before, and he's a pastor to this day, been a pastor all these years. And, and I'd, I was going through a hard time. I was about three months old in the Lord going through a hard time. And so I went up and decided to skip church. And I went up in the desert and I was up there and I was getting ready to backslide. I'm four miles up in the desert, four miles up in the desert. And I'm getting ready to quit. I'm moving back to St. Louis. This is it. I'm tired. And all of a sudden I hear, Four miles up in the desert, up this, up this river in the desert. And I hear this, what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. I go, what in, I mean, I'm there, I'm in the middle of nowhere in Arizona. And I stand up and here comes Alec Wilson and he goes, oh, brother, what are you doing here? Like he accidentally found me. But I look at the privilege I have of, of, of shepherding people around the world. But I look at Alec Wilson. I would not be here if it wasn't for him. I look at Ron Simpkins. I look at Joe Widinger. I look at people when I first got saved, they would bring, when I first got, gave my life to the Lord, I had done drugs for so many years, such heavy drugs that they would bring me uh, to their house and everybody would have coffee, a, a life group. We didn't call them them, but a life group and have coffee. And I would sit there in the rocking chair and I could hardly talk because I'd done drugs for so many years, but they loved me and they took care of me and they watched me. That's a shepherd's crown. Can you imagine when we think of Jesus as the great shepherd, there is no one more important in the kingdom of God than you are that takes care of one person that makes sure one sheep isn't limping or one sheep isn't snake but or one sheep isn't gone astray. There is a great reward that stands waiting for you, but not just someday. It's released tonight. Stand with me all of the building. I finished the message at this point, and I walked in out of my office, and I told Tiz I'm disappointed in my message. She said, why? Last night I finished it, I was all finished. And I said, because all my research, and usually I can go into books and stuff that most Christians don't have access to and find the secret meaning find the deep meaning. And I said, I have researched and researched and researched Christian doctrines, Hebrew doctrines. Everybody talks about the crowns. Now in Hebrew, they said there are basically two crowns. One is earthly and one is heavenly. The heavenly one is when we go to heaven, you get a gold crown and it means your your royalty, your priesthood, your your top shelf in heaven 
The other one is earthly, it's temporary, it's what's given to a bride and a bridegroom. And I found that that crown that's given that's temporary means you'll be protected, you'll be provided for, your enemies will be defeated, you'll have clothing, you'll have food, you'll have abundance, you'll have love, you'll have beauty, you'll have security. And I thought, well, that's good, but it's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that nugget. So I told Tiz, I said, I'm disappointed in this message. Okay, crown of life, victor's crown, on and on and on. But it doesn't say what these are. What, how does this affect us in heaven? And so I went out and I just was walking. I said, God, I, you told me to teach this. I see the crowns. I see them right there in the scriptures. I see glimpses of what you're talking about, but what does it mean? Why don't you tell us what these things are? And God spoke to me. He said, the reason I don't tell you what they are is because eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it ever entered into the heart of man the things that I have prepared for those who love me. And God said, I can't tell you what they are because there's nothing in your vocabulary that'll explain what it's like when I put those crowns on my children. There aren't words to explain them. And let me give you a prophetic word. Someday, can we have the timeline on? Someday, when we are raptured, it'll be beyond anything we've ever imagined. We, we don't have the ability to imagine the blessing of God. We don't have the ability to imagine. But until then, it's a shadow of the exact same thing. Can I prophesy over you? Can I give you a prophecy? This next year is going to be unimaginable. It's going to be beyond what we can imagine. Do you receive that? If you receive, do you receive that? It's going to be, it's going to be beyond exceedingly abundantly above anything we can ask or think. My brother was talking today when we asked for prayer requests. You said financial breakthrough. Exceedingly abundantly, my brother. Exceedingly abundantly. Things that have been stolen are coming back. Things that you've been waiting for. God says, now. Peace in your home and marriage. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In heaven there's no sorrow. In in heaven there's no tears. So in your marriage and in your home, no sorrow, no tears. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I'm not just giving you a sermon. I am prophesying on you. I am prophesying on you. That come sundown tonight. Bam. It's done. Do you receive it? Now, let me show you something. Go tell somebody else. Go tell somebody else. Everything in Judaism and Christianity says 
when they blow the when we get to when we get to Sukkot Feast of Tabernacles they would shout and we'll do the whole Feast of Tabernacles teaching it's one of the best teachings that there is and the high priest would hold up his hands and say it's fit the people would shout is it finished is it finished is it finished and the high priest would hold up his hands and he would shout it is finished but their blessing was never complete think think about it there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands millions of Jews there and some of them are right there. They're right here. They're, they're, they're right down by the altar. And the high priest would hold his hand up. And you know how the story goes. And he, goes, he would go, it's finished. But then they would shout. They would turn to those who couldn't see. Because they're down there going, is it finished? Is it finished? And they would shout and go, it's finished. And then they would turn and go, it's finished. It's finished. When you hear the blowing of the shofar, you're to grab your shofar and blow. You know, I was there the other day. I went out and blew my shofar, and I heard somebody in the neighborhood, a couple blocks over, answer back with their shofar. And then, a, and then Aviva got her shofar, and she was blowing her shofar. What we're doing is we're shouting, we know he's coming! Get ready! It's going to be awesome. I want every head bowed, every eyes closed. Let's just all say this together. Say it out loud. Say, Father, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know I've sinned. We've all sinned. But I know this. You love me so much. You sent Jesus Christ to pay the price in full for all my sin. Right now, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, you died for me. I will, from this day forward, live for you. I seal it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now give the Lord a clap offering. Do you have, do you have your apple? Grab your apple and honey, if you don't have one, uh, it may be because God doesn't love you. Or the ushers just didn't get you. Anybody need apple and honey? Anybody need? Dan needs apple and honey. Down here, guys. Apple and honey. Go ahead and open them up. Now, it's a tradition that on Rosh Hashanah, that we take apple and dip it in honey. Here's the reason. The apple represents the harvest. A harvest of prosperity, of finances. How many could use more finances? We could use you to have more finances. Right? A harvest of joy. A harvest of peace. Me and my family, we're ready for a harvest of health. Amen? The honey represents... When we're dedicating your child, we take, Tiz always takes a dip of honey and touches it on their lip or their tongue. And that is symbolizing that may the name of God and the word of God be sweet on your lips. It's something you do on Shabbat. It's something you do uh, when you dedicate a child. And so we take the harvest and we take the honey. There is a wealth that comes from the Lord and brings no sorrow with it. 
So open up your apple carefully, your honey very carefully. And we are claiming if the rapture does not take place, this next year will be a year of abundance and this next year will be a year of nothing but sweetness. Now look at me, look at me. Don't hope it happens. Claim it happens. Amen? Amen. Don't hope. I hope so. When we heard about lying and tis, we didn't go, well, we hope. And we put our foot down. Said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In heaven there is no sorrow, no tears, no racism, no anger, no sickness, no poverty, no debt. Thy kingdom come. It's like, that's it. I'm putting my... Remember when your mom used to do that? I said, now. That's what you're doing. Taking authority. This next year is going to be awesome. Amen. Father, we claim abundance. We claim abundance in our finances. We claim abundance in our homes, our families, our joy, abundance of peace, abundance of health, abundance of happiness, abundance of harmony, abundance of protection, and abundance of all the good things of heaven. And we claim that for now. And Father, we claim this next year will be sweet. It will be, we, we, it, we, our, our, our battles will not be to keep our heads above water. Our battles will be to change the world and make the world a better place. And Father, for all you've done, we thank you. But for all you're going to do for us and through us, we give you all the praise and all the glory. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, who is our Messiah. And all God's people said, let us dip. I photobombed them. Eat the whole apple. Because you're going to have a, a harvest that is going to be beyond anything you've ever seen. Friday night is the Shabbat of return. Now look at me. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Sabbath is a window in time are you looking are you looking sabbath is a window in time there are a few sabbaths that are beyond special this is the only sabbath between rosh hashanah and yom kippur the sabbath between the rapture and the second coming it's called uh, Shabbat Teshuvah, the rapture of return. It is a very, very special time. We're going to come together. If you can make it, if you can make it. We're going to do Shabbat together. Between Rosh Hashanah, which is tonight, and next Sunday night is seven days. On Yom Kippur, God seals the blessing. That's next Sunday. On Yom Kippur, God seals the blessing that no one and nothing can steal. This next year, 
is going to be awesome. Are you ready for it? If you believe it, give the Lord a shout.